0: So uh, imagine if one day I started a sermon here at Savior like this. I look out and I see, well, let's take Tom Howard sitting there in the red shirt. And I say, Tom, it is so good to see you here tonight because I remember when I created you. I'll tell you what would happen. Right after that service, a bunch of members of the vestry would be huddling back in the hallway. And they would be frantically texting Bishop Todd saying, we got to get this guy out of the pulpit because he's moved from talking about God to thinking he is God. But Jesus said things like that all the time. He looked utterly ordinary. Dark hair, probably a beard, Middle Eastern features, works with his hands, probably calloused, sweats when he works, But he keeps saying jarring things, like, uh, you know, before Abraham existed 1800 years ago, I was there, I was already there. In fact, I remember him well. Or, you know, I used to live in heaven, but I moved and I came down here. He would say that, or uh, by the way, my dad is God. (laughs) Now today, if you meet somebody who talks this way, you think, Uh, We need to get some professional help up in here. Uh, Maybe get back on the lithium, you know, and and get some institutional help. And in fact, at first, Jesus' family thought he was crazy. What's interesting is that later they changed his mind. They changed their minds, excuse me, and became his followers. And that's because Jesus kept on doing things that just make you wonder. Like, They're not the kind of things that a crazy person does. For example, he takes one brown bag lunch and does something, not sure exactly what, and he feeds like a whole arena of people. Thousands of people. And they're all eating a lot and getting filled up. And then afterwards, there's like big coolers, like Coleman coolers full of the leftovers. And he started with one lunch. Like, how does he do that? Then there's a time that Jesus walks into a funeral for a young girl, and everybody's sobbing, of course. And he says out loud to everybody, hey, I don't know why y'all are crying. She's just taking a nap. And they all go, you got to get a clue, fella. Um, And he walks over, takes the girl's hand, and she sits up. Swings her knees out over and stands up out of the casket. So how do you and I make sense of somebody who is, is not like anyone you or I have ever met? I mean, he just breaks categories. Well, no wonder that people then and people today really struggle to figure out Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, trying to make sense of Jesus Christ is like a fly trying to make sense of an elephant. And so some people give it their best fly thinking and come up with something like well jesus is human period he may be more noble than you or i or a little more enlightened maybe he was a better teacher or maybe he just lived more ethically but he's just a person just a human being this is what you get for example from novelist dan brown in the da vinci code um the dan brown version of jesus never really he doesn't claim to be god in fact he isn't considered God by his followers he actually gets a promotion he's made into deity by Roman Emperor Constantine in the fourth century now Muslims give Jesus more credit than that they say he was born of a virgin they say he did miracles what they can't accept is that someone that inspired would suffer such a horrifying death as a crucifixion so they say Jesus was rescued out of that by God taken up to heaven but he's certainly not God's son he's certainly not divine and he's not God in human form now meanwhile many Christians today they struggle with Jesus too they fully accept that Jesus is divine but they struggle with Jesus being human like really no kidding human with a real human body like a human body with body odor like a human body with bodily urges Anybody getting uncomfortable up in here yet? <laughs> so tonight, as we try to make sense of Jesus, I recommend this. If we're gonna understand Jesus, the real Jesus, then we have to f- both think much bigger than we do and also much smaller than we do. We have to simultaneously zoom out and zoom in because we've gotta take a look at Jesus's un limited power, but also his painful and profound limitations. So I invite you to come along tonight, and my hope tonight is that your vision of Jesus will be clarified a bit, and I hope your wonder of Jesus will be refreshed. Okay, so let's zoom out to the farthest reaches of time and space. Paul writes in Colossians 1, which was your first reading tonight, that christ is the visible image of the invisible god you want to see what god is like there you go he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation now think about this when paul wrote those words it was only like 30 35 years after jesus had been alive on earth doing his earthly ministry so there are still people alive who knew Jesus personally, had talked with him when this is being written. So the equivalent for us might be like taking somebody who died in, say, 1988, uh, like Andy Gibb, younger member of the Bee Gees. Anybody feeling it? A little? Okay. Uh, And saying today, before anything was created, Andy Gibb existed. And Andy is supreme over all creation. Now, if you tweeted that out, Andy's older brother, Barry, who's 74 and still, still living, would say, uh, yeah, not even close. Like, I knew Andy, and actually Andy died because of his years of cocaine abuse. But when people said these words about Jesus, a woodworker from a nothing-happens town, saying he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation, many other people said, yeah, gotta be. There's no other way to explain him, including the people who are hardest to convince, your own family. Jesus' mother and brothers came to worship him as God. God to the point that his brother James was willing to be killed rather than give up his faith that his brother was divine. Paul continues in verse 16. For through Christ, God created everything. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we can see, the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. Everything. So, I don't know, have you accepted that you were created through Jesus and for the purpose and glory of Jesus that's why you're here so let's try repeating this after me I'll say it you repeat I was created through Jesus and for Jesus I was created through Jesus and for Jesus yes you were if you go on vacation this summer and I hope you get a little time away wherever you go was created through jesus and for jesus so i i walked over at northside park recently the water in the lagoon there at northside park was created through jesus and for jesus i was out on the prairie path running recently saw a little goldfinch that goldfinch was handcrafted through jesus and for jesus and by the way the person who's writing this these words is not some kind of gullible person paul is brilliant. He has one of the finest educations possible. And he used to think that Christians were dangerous. He actually put them in jail because they were polluting Judaism, worshiping a human being as if he was God. Then he meets Jesus and he has to change his tune. And so now he's saying he holds all creation together. And Jesus is not just one leader among many, he is supreme. You and I can think the loftiest possible thoughts we can conceive about Jesus' creative power and we still can't get there. We can try to ponder the supremacy and authority of Jesus Christ and our thoughts will just still be (laughs) about like that fly buzzing around the elephant's ear. And yet, if we need to zoom out to understand Jesus, we also gotta zoom in we have to feel what it was like to have his human limits. When the physician named Luke went to write his biography of Jesus, he sat with Mary, Jesus' mother, and asked what it was like raising him. And she remembers this story. She She tells him the time when Jesus was 12 and they all traveled as a family, the 80 or 90 miles to Jerusalem where they celebrated Passover together. And it says in Luke 2, verse 43, that after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Some of you have had 12 year old sons or nephews or grandsons and you're saying, I'm not surprised. (laughs) My 13 year old son was on a Chicago field trip with his church's youth group once and I got a call from the youth group leaders saying, "Um, have you seen Andrew? They're in Chicago. I'm here in Wheaton. I'm like, this cannot be good. Andrew and a buddy doing the 12 and 13 year old boy thing had wandered off from the group and they had no idea where they were. So we were as panicked as Mary and Joseph were panicked when they realized this kid is not here. They started looking for him among their relatives and friends. And then three days later, they finally discovered him sitting in the temple having a Socratic dialogue with the religious teachers and listening to them, and he's having a great time. And his mother goes, son, what were you thinking? Why did you do this to us? We've been panicked. We've been looking all over. We're absolutely out of our minds. And he goes, but why? Didn't you know I had, I'd have to be where my dad lives? That's, of course, where I'd be. Now, what we have here is Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, coming to understand his unique relationship with God. God, he identifies God as his father first and foremost, even above the people who are raising him. But what we may skip over too quickly is that Jesus is a 12-year-old boy figuring out his identity, just like every other 12-year-old child in the history of humanity has had to figure out theirs. Verse 52, Luke tells us Jesus Grew in wisdom and stature. So as Jesus kept growing taller, I picture Mary doing for him like my mom used to do for me where you stand up against the door jamb and you kind of pencil off, you know, how tall the, the kid is now. And he kept growing, but he also had to grow in what he knew. Theologian Scott McKnight has a wonderful phrase on this. He says, Jesus had to learn math. He knew what it was like to erase erase something on his paper. Until his adoptive dad showed him, he did not know how to use tools. Until his mom sang the Magnificat at night, he did not know that God lifts up the lowly. He learned as he grew. And even as an adult, Jesus still has to ask for information. He goes to the cemetery and he says, where did you bury Lazarus? He doesn't like, "Mm -hmm." no, it's right over here. He, he meets a guy who's tormented by demons, and he, he says to the demons, what's your name? Uh, his disciples come to him one day, and they say, hey, Jesus, you said that this temple's going to be destroyed? Like, when are you talking about? And he goes, well, I don't really know. Only the Father knows. He also, get this, the Bible says in Hebrews, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. He had to learn obeying God, just like you or I have to learn through life obeying God. And there's a mystery to that. It's a challenge. It's challenging. When he suffered rejection, Jesus felt the sting. When he suffered temptation, he felt the pull. I was reading in a paper that Martin Luther King, Jr. wrote in Seminary, and he, he quoted this he included this quote in his paper: "Jesus' temptations were real temptations which it was difficult and painful for him to resist. Jesus had real human blood with a real blood type. I like to think maybe, oh, the universal donor. But (laughs) that human blood ran down a human forehead and oozed out of his feet with bunions and calluses. Now, why? Why is it that the one who created the universe that is even that without which math is not even possible had to learn math problem by problem one at a time why would the one who formed the world let himself be pushed out of the world and onto the cross well the answer to that is is another paradox in tim keller's words you are more sinful than you ever dared believe and you are more loved than you ever dared hope he came for you paul explains this in colossians 1 verse 19 for god in all his fullness was pleased to live in christ and through him god reconciled everything to himself he made peace in heaven and on earth by means of christ's blood on the cross this includes you who were once far away from god you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of christ in his physical body as a result he has brought you into his own presence and get this not only were you made through jesus christ and for the glory of jesus christ because of the work of jesus christ you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault are there any troubled consciences who needed to hear you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault because jesus is greater than we can possibly imagine and yet became more limited than we usually accept you and i can now stand before god without a single fault knowing acceptance and love. No one comes to the Father through him. Well, I'll close with this. Anglican scholar uh, Tom Wright, whom some of you have met, uh, was once asked, what will you tell your children on your deathbed? And he said this, look at Jesus. That's what I'll tell him. And here he goes on to explain it. The person who walks out of the pages of the Gospels to meet us is just central and irreplaceable. He is always a surprise. How many of you have been following Jesus for a long time and know he's always a surprise? (laughs) He still is. We never have Jesus in our pockets. He's always coming at us from different angles. And Wright says this, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but part of the drama that has him as the central character. Well, there is only one way we can respond, I think, to tonight's uh, truths about Jesus, and that is to wonder and to worship. And so to help us with that, I've asked uh, John to come up and uh, lead us in a simple chorus, Holy and Anointed One. You can listen along. Or if you know it, and it's pretty simple to learn, then join in.
1: Jesus, Jesus, Holy. Spirits like water to my soul. Your words... One, Jesus, your name is like honey on my lips. Your spirit's like water to my soul. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, Jesus. water to my soul your word is a lamp unto my feet oh Jesus